Welcome to the first episode of the Circo podcast. I'm your host, Edward Gallagher. I'm the Managing Director for Circo Citizen Services here in the Middle East. And today we are very fortunate to have with us um, and for a chat with my colleague from Circo North America on uh, how innovations within case management have really enhanced citizen services globally and how, as we bring those worldwide experiences here to the Middle East, um, how we can take advantage of that and uh, and move from where we are today out of this COVID-19 crisis, one hopes soon enough, um, into an emergent future. Uh, Francis, good afternoon. How are you? Um, Well, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to the... I I understand this is the very first episode of the uh, podcast. No, uh, let's. I appreciate, I appreciate the invitation. I feel honored. Thank you. We're starting at the top. We're starting with the best, Francis. That's what I like about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for the flattery. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's uh, it's exciting times for us as we as we try and um, pick the brains of what uh, have come before us across the globe and um, and start to deploy those things in the Middle East. You know, regionally here. You've got governments with a very set-out agenda um, and, and vision statements, such as Saudi Arabia with its Vision 2030, um, very ambitious and very driven. Um, and and part of what they're really passionate about, what we're really seeing, is that um, they are making public statements. Uh, if you take Sheikh Mohammed, the, the ruler of Dubai, he's recently come out in the press saying, we want to be delivering the best government services in the world. The main objective of every government entity in the UAE has to be that. I mean, that's a pretty strong, strong statement. Um, we we have been delivering these kind of services for government um, and for citizens and in the US for quite a while now. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of um, case management and citizen services out in, in North America? Yes, uh, so, so case management can be uh, rather confusing. Many people could, uh, could uh, interpret what case management means in, in various different ways. Uh, uh, from, from our perspective, uh, it is being able to provide some significant services. Uh, usually it's high volume, high citizen touch services. So it's not the back office stuff. It's not the, uh, the things where you just don't interact with citizens. Uh, most governments around the world provide some sort of benefits to their customers. Uh, and to receive those benefits, the citizen usually needs to apply and, or enroll for them. Uh, their eligibility must be verified. They need uh, help in, in fully completing their applications or to resolve any discrepancies that might exist that affects their eligibility. So that's what we really uh, want to focus on is how do we, on behalf of the governments that we serve, provide those um, uh, valued benefits uh, in, in the best way to do many things. The outcome for the citizens is, is extremely important, but the total cost to the government of being able to provide efficient services uh, is very important as well. Uh, so we provide uh, dedicated knowledge workers to help those citizens apply for those benefits and resolve their issues and administer any changes that they might have um, but it's also a technology-enabled workflow and, and process. 
Uh, so our focus is on the citizen, but we must perform the transactions required using high trust, scalable and cost efficient processes. Fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that's, a, that's a real good view of the end to end situation. Um, one of the things then, if we if we're saying best government services in the world and the focus on the citizen themselves, if we start there, how how does that manifest itself today? I, I'm guessing customers want convenience. They want really high quality. They want to access it any hours, any way. How, how do you, you sort of facilitate that out in the, uh, in the U.S. at the moment? And, and that can be a real challenge. I think uh, today is the first time uh, that we've had five generations of people that need uh, services and, and are also in the workforce. So uh, it's the workforce that, that you need to be able to have uh, the, the right type of uh, uh, technologies and, and processes. And it's also the, the citizens in, in whom you're serving because each one of those um, is more comfortable doing it in a specific way. Uh, the elderly might not be so comfortable with technology, uh, so you need to have the, the uh, although not so much, the, the, the mail uh, services and paper uh, processes. Um, however, uh, many of them uh, have, have smartphones, and, and uh, the younger generation certainly likes to use that, and they communicate in a totally different way. So what we need to do uh, for the workforce and for this, the citizens that we serve is make sure that we have a variety of, of things in a, an innovative uh, case management uh, program and platform. Uh, we in the United States uh, like to make sure that we can provide our knowledge workers with all the information they need without having to do a lot of administrative work. Um, so if we can eliminate data entry, which also causes error, uh, we, we, we do so uh, using uh, uh, optical character reading uh, type of technology and, and uh, robotic uh, process automation technology where we can move those administrative things uh, down the line and be able to present a full picture to the worker. That worker can then communicate in the most efficient way with the citizen. Um, we, we have not yet rolled out a full omni-channel for, for some of the programs that we have, but we have a five-year innovation roadmap where we're moving in that direction, uh, but it takes a lot of collaboration with the government because we are, we are essentially uh, working on the government's behalf. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and again here, um, written and riddled throughout our, our customer nation's visions is um, driving efficiency and driving it with technical innovation. And so I just know that, that people here in region are passionate about that. Um, I, I guess there's a twofold piece there. One is we're, you know, $25 a barrel now. We are emerging from a global pandemic in the near future, I hope. And um, economy doing it efficiently is going to be cr critical. Now, I think traditionally you've seen um, services in, in perhaps some of the environments we're talking about that are contact center based. People have gone for cost, low cost and driving efficiency by lowering the quality. And I don't think people are just willing to accept that anymore, particularly in the, in the post-COVID world. How Talk to me a little bit more about the, the technology, the robotic automation, the stuff that you're doing that doesn't mean 
you're sacrificing quality to get um, efficiency and cost saving for government, but you're using technology. Just just talk me through a bit more about how that's working. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, we like to call it intelligent automation. We are not replacing the knowledge worker, but we're enhancing uh, their ability to help the citizen and, and really have that that uh, full picture as as they administer the benefits to the citizen and, and help them through the process. Um, so we do use uh, RPA, robotic process automation, uh, and we use decision tools uh, that are important for, for help in adjudication. Let me give you an example. In uh, the Affordable Care Act contract that uh, is, is usually known as Obamacare here in the United States, but it's, it's officially the Affordable Care Act, uh, we have some uh, income uh, uh, transactions that must be calculated to determine their eligibility and the subsidy that they will receive, uh, those, those tax credits that they will receive to offset the premiums of insurance. Uh, in the United States, insurance is, is, is a primary way that uh, people are covered. It's not a universal healthcare system. So in order to do that, there's a lot of calculations on what are the assets, what are the savings, what is the what are the incomes, what other benefits do they receive from the government, uh, what's their 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 uh, the size of their family. Um, so there's a lot of transactions, and almost takes a certified public accountant to to figure it out. But using decision tools, uh, we can do the data entry, and, and quite frankly, we don't do the data entry. The robotic process automation hub then does the data entry for us, which, which eliminates those, those errors because uh, uh, it's, it's more accurate uh, than, than having a, a person key it in. Uh, it then comes through and does all of the, the calculations on, on the size of the family, the income sources, all the benefits that they receive, and a decision comes out and is presented to that knowledge worker on what uh, a form of benefit they're eligible for, that is the citizen that's eligible for. So we're actually using technology to assist the knowledge worker in, in coordinating with that citizen as opposed to having technology replace the work. We want them to be presented with a picture so that they can explain fully and, and help that citizen receive the benefits that they're eligible for. We have a number of different technologies that we use. Uh, I've mentioned robotic process automation. I've, I've mentioned uh, 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 optical character reading. I've mentioned decision tools. Uh, all that together forms an intelligent automation package with, with straight through processing, but also with exception when uh, it, it needs a human person with intellect to make a decision or to help a citizen it's presented back to that knowledge worker. That's fascinating. And and what kind of efficiency does that drive? I mean, over the, over the years, what kind of um, downscaling of manpower or um, overall savings you've been able to generate for the government as a result? I'll give you an example. So in 2013 uh, it was when the Affordable Care Act started, and uh, that first two years. Uh, we needed almost 5,000 people to, to do it all because we did not have a lot of the technology-enabled services. It was provide people uh, to quickly uh, help these, these citizens that need it. And we only had three months to stand up operations. 
so it was a very uh, uh, put things together and uh, uh, there were many IT uh, issues on the government side and we had to come up with our own uh, platform to, to do the work. Today, uh, we only need 2,200 people to be able to do that work, but the quality of the services that we provide and the volume of the transactions that we perform are actually higher than what we had back in 2013. So more efficient, uh, we've been able to reduce the cost to the government uh, by through that efficiency um, in the various different contracts, uh, commercial structures, as well as uh, the, the services that we provide. Um, so uh, I'm very pleased with, with what we're showing by, by applying technology to assist knowledge workers in, in, in making sure that we serve those citizens that need those benefits. That's amazing. So more transactions up the volume, yet we with more than half the amount of people working on it. That's a pretty big achievement. We have a long way to go. Yeah. This is only the beginning. Yeah, man, absolutely. And um, yeah, we're excited about bringing that stuff here. I had a really interesting experience. You know, we're trying to invest in the, the very sort of top end leading edge stuff here uh, in region. And I, um, I had a demo the other day with some really cool tech we're looking at for uh, one of our government customers. And I had this conversation with a computer and literally you can't tell it's not a human. I mean, uh, that it was that um, intelligent voice response. It sounded so natural. Um, have you come across anything like that? I have not, but uh, Nathaniel Palmer, our, our chief architect here, who has a great team of solution architects in, in the Americas, um, has, has told me about that technology, and uh, he's constantly bringing stuff to me, and uh, I like to be the, uh, the place that we try those things out. So as we do assessments and as we develop our ongoing innovation roadmap, um, uh, we, we usually uh, take a look at the technologies, assess the technologies, uh, and then present them to the client so that they know what the benefit are it is as well, and uh, uh, hopefully get them incorporated. So that sounds like it's an exciting technology. I, I, I think human touch is very important. Uh, we, we are really dealing with citizens that are concerned and any, any technology-enabled uh, services we provide, we don't want them to have any doubts that they're, they're, that they're being served by humans. So I think that would be uh, fantastic uh, for certain applications. And I think we need to be careful about what, what applications we, 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 we take a look at as we employ those, those technologies. Absolutely. Um, totally agree. But I think it's quite exciting. That I guess that people don't necessarily associate Circo with being bleeding edge technology. But actually, I know because I work here and you do too. But, you know, just that as an example, over halving the number of people bringing that kind of level of efficiency and cost saving to the government, yet more transactions and more quality of service. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, a testament to our commitment to innovation. I mean, another point for us is um, the governments here have, have announced in their uh, latest budgets, the biggest spend for them is going to be on social services, including pensions, health, education. These kind of social aspects are getting the big attention in the budget. When you're interacting with people, around those kind of services 
Um, I get, I'm guessing people are very sensitive. I know people are very sensitive to it. And governments are sensitive to the data and the security of the data that we hold as a, as a sort of government contractor. How, how are we managing security and secure data and, and how are we handling customer sensitive data um, in, in the contracts and case management that you're, that you're looking at? So uh, it, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Because many of us are, are working from home and we need to protect that uh, sensitive data, especially the citizen's personal identifiable information or public health information. Um, we, we need to be very careful. So we have a number of different contracts, uh, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, which, which handles the, the trusts of pensions uh, that, that uh, the government has 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 ensured or, or guaranteed when uh, a trust goes defunct. Uh, as, you know, large companies like uh, Sears and Roebuck here in the United States, uh, there was a lot of press as, as, as their trust uh, became uh, defunct and then we had to take it over. So we're dealing with those. We're dealing with uh, all of the U.S. employee government. Uh, we administer their retirement fund uh, for them. So. They, it really, we really need to have a, a secure public trust and security and integrity program uh, to ensure that security of, of, of that sensitive data. We have robust uh, security processes in, in, in place uh, that are, from a system standpoint, uh, we know exactly what's, what's happening. Uh, and then when we're working in the facilities, uh, there's, there's also the oversight. It's important to make sure that that people protect information as well as the systems protecting information. Um, so uh, it needs to be a combination of, of things that, that happen. Uh, in the US government, uh, whenever we're handling uh, this sensitive data for the citizens, uh, they, there has to be an accreditation that comes through. So they do a systems audit to make sure that we have all the protocols in place and that uh, uh, we understand uh, and, and have the scanners, uh, if there are any phishing attacks, anybody trying to get into the systems. That's one aspect. The other is the trust and, and the, the integrity of the people that we have working. So ensuring that we have uh, uh, people that understand the mission and under, understand that that information needs to be uh, protected, uh, the training that's in place, uh, and, and, and also uh, the protocols uh, to make sure that even as we work from home, uh, that we have security screens, we show them how to set up their home offices so that uh, no information is, is available in their, their living rooms or, or where there's any public, if at all possible, to get in the back corner. So those protocols all need to be established, and then there needs to be the audits. So it's, it's, it's a very robust uh, process that we need to put in. Uh, we need to have oversight. Uh, we do audits uh, ourselves, not just in the, in, in the management, but we have external audit, auditors that come in to make sure that we have those protocols in place to safeguard that sensitive information. Yeah, it's obviously the same globally with the sort of three-layer audit system. I think for government services, it's to, it's to be expected, and I think Circo does a fantastic job of it across the world. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned COVID nineteen there. Obviously, um, we've managed to go quite a long time without talking about it. Probably the longest <laughs> I've managed not to talk about it 
in uh, in a week or so. I, I would ask you though, how how are your team, uh, your family safe? Everything going okay uh, back at home? Yes, uh, I you know, and 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 it's a different world, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a new normal, but I think it'll be different. Uh, just like uh, usually any major crisis in the world uh, uh, changes things. And, and sometimes that change is not all bad. Sometimes it, it, it's good. So I think it's a different way of life. Uh, and and I think that uh, perhaps the quality of life could even uh, be improved as we figure out how to work in this, I'll call it the new normal. It's getting a, a rather old saying that, but uh, the new normal. Yeah. And, um, you know, across the world, we're, we're the same. And uh, here in the Middle East, you know, really proud. We've got people doing vital government services that can't stop, have to carry on. And most of our people are in the field working. You know, lots of people are locked up safe in their house. But our guys and, and girls are out there working, making sure that, you know, the, the metro is running when it needs to. Um, when you want to call up about your health care or your pension, that there's someone to call. And, um yeah, really amazed by the stories I'm hearing within Circa across the world of people keeping uh, keeping vital government services running. We're very proud of what we've done uh, throughout the world uh, uh, in Circo, and I'm sure you join the, uh, the the calls uh, in getting the reports and review the reports. But uh, we really do have some frontline heroes across the world. Yeah, here, here. Um, great. So, and just sort of wrapping up then from a business perspective, looking at case management and government services. Have you got any views on how that's going to change what a citizen wants, what a citizen expects, the flexibility they expect? What, what's your view on, on the um, post-COVID-19 government services world? I think uh, we have an opportunity here to take a look at things and, and, and uh, do them differently. Uh, obviously, we've seen an uptick in uh, much of the work uh, that that we do, uh, people uh, wanting to check in uh, with the world economy the way it is right now, and, and the concerns there on their pensions and perhaps their investments uh, in in the way that they've administered those. So we're getting a lot more telephone calls and a lot more service uh, requests uh, to to change some things. Um, with 33.5 million people unemployed in the United States, uh, we anticipate that uh, it's going to be a, a while before the economy is back to where it was, and more people will need access to more services such as the Affordable Care Act uh, to, uh, to, to, to make sure that they, they have the health uh, coverage that they need uh, to make sure that their families are cared for. Uh, and I think they're going to rely on some of these government services and the services that we provide on behalf of those governments uh, to receive those benefits. So uh, it will be, there's a new opportunity in that uh, uh, I think we can do some things uh, in a better way. Uh, we're, so we're always looking for improvement. Uh, but I also think there's going to be a, a new need. Uh, people will be asking for things in a different way and wanting to 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 uh, obtain those services in different ways. Some of it uh, self-service, some of it I need help and we need to accommodate all. Yeah, and I think our um, our kind of employment and skills packages for governments could, could become more popular than ever. We're doing a, a lot of good work already, but post-crisis, I can see that's, that's going to be more important than, uh, than ever before. 
Brilliant. Well, listen, I wanted to say thank you very much. I know all of us are more busy than seemingly we've ever been and uh, taking some really valuable time out of your day to speak to us. Um, really good to catch up and uh, and I'll catch up with you again soon outside of a podcast environment. Um, but uh, in wrapping up again, thanks very much. Fascinating stuff and, and great work we're doing all across North America for government. Um, and thank you all for listening. That's all, all of it uh, from us today. Um, we look forward to podcast number two. We've uh, set a very, very high bar. Uh, Mr. Francis Moody, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, doing another podcast for you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. I look forward to working with you in the near future. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.